All right, I want to invite you, if you would, to take your Bible or a pew Bible if you need and turn with me to the major prophet Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 46, Isaiah chapter 46. We are in a series entitled What We Believe. I told you several weeks ago, um, I had a conversation with a lady that she was, she asked me what our church's uh, statement of faith was. What is it that we believe as a church? I said, well, we don't have one. So I need to write us one. And so uh, at the end of this, Lord willing, I'm going to put, have put together, I'll have a statement of faith for what we believe as a church that we can hang on the wall, maybe out there in the vestibule that tells what it is that we do believe as a church. But even more so than just that, I've been saying for probably as long as I've been pastor here that we need to know what we believe and we need to know why it is that we believe it. Why is it that we come to this place week in and week out? Why do we read from this ancient book? Why do we close our eyes and bow our heads to talk to someone that we have never seen with our eyes or heard with our ears? And why is it that we, the people of God, why is it that we have peace, hope, and joy in a world that is full of sin, pain, and death? These are the questions that we are seeking to answer. Last week, we answered the question, why is it that we believe the Bible? The Bible is our sole, infallible, inerrant, and in, an authoritative rule of faith and practice. Inside of these 66 books are God-breathed words that tell us how we can be made right with Him, and then after that, how to live a life that glorifies Him. This morning, we move to the next entry of things that we believe as a church, and we come to declare what we believe about God. As a church, we believe in one true eternal God who is unchanging and unchangeable. We believe God is the creator of all that exists in heaven and in earth. The God who is described in the Bible is the only true God and is unique. He is unlike anyone or anything else in the entire universe. God has all power, all knowledge, all wisdom, and is due all glory, honor, and praise. All that comes to pass does so at the decree of God. All things will, in the end, result in the glory of God. So look with me at Isaiah 46. And I want to read to your hearing verses 9 through 11 as we confess what we believe about God. Isaiah chapter 47, beginning in verse 9, hear now, not man's words, but the word of God. Remember the former things long past, for I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is no one like me, declaring the end from the beginning. And from the ancient times, things which have not been done, saying, my counsel will be established, and I will accomplish all my good pleasure. 
calling a bird of prey from the east, that the man of my counsel from a far country. Truly I have spoken. Truly I will bring it to pass. I have formed it. Surely I will do it. Let us pray. Our most gracious Heavenly Father, we're jumping into the deep end of the pool this morning. God, we are seeking to, in the time that we have remaining, try, and it will only be briefly, capture a glimpse of just who you are. Father, I pray that my tongue would be your tool, your instrument that you would use to speak to your people this day. Help me to decrease for you to increase, to take this, make it applicable, make it effectual to every heart and to every life this day. May your word go forth and in the heart and mind of everyone that it lands, may it do the work that you intend it to do. And in every bit of it, oh God, please be glorified. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. According to an article posted on March the 28th of 2020 on a website called reference.com, there are approximately 4,200 religions worldwide. There's the big five, Christianity, Judaism, Hinduism, Buddhism, and Islam. And of those big five, there are offshoot smaller religions. Now, you think of just of Christianity and the myriads of denominations. Heck, you think of Baptist and the myriads of Baptists. There's uh, Independent Baptist, Southern Baptist, Free Will Baptist, Reformed Baptist, on and on and on, right? And then there's the other denominations of Methodist, Lutheran, uh, Episcopalian, uh, uh, Church of the Nazarene, International, Pentecostal, Pentecostal Holiness, Pentecostal Fire Baptized, Church of uh, God, Church of uh, the Living God, on and on and on. Offshoots. And then in the, in the other ones have offshoot smaller religions of theirs. And plus there are numerous localized folk religions to various parts of the world. Now, now follow what I'm about to say. Follow what I'm about to say. The fact that there are myriads of world religions proves that there is a God. And it also proves that the God of the Bible is the real and only true God. How, do I do, how did I get to that point? Because mankind was created to be in relationship and worship God, the true God of heaven. We were created to worship. Psalm 150 and verse 6 says, Let everything that hath breath praise the Lord. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. We were created for worship. We were created to be in fellowship with the triune God of heaven and earth. We were created to worship God Almighty. However, because of the fall of Adam and the sin curse upon our nature, yes, we naturally want to worship, 
But we do not naturally want to worship the one true living God. We are, in fact, in rebellion to God, and we take the worship that is rightly due Jehovah, Yahweh, Elohim, the triune God of the Bible. We rightly take the worship that is due to Him and give it to false gods. And it matters, greatly matters, what God you believe in. I mean, the, the, the popular worldly mindset of a God is just believe in just some big all-knowing genie in the sky who, who looks after the, the good people and, that, and how somebody's good uh, differs from one person to the next. And that's just not the God of Scripture. That's not the God of Scripture. So the God that we worship, it matters. It matters greatly. The eternal state of your soul depends on which God you believe in and worship. James chapter 2 verse 19 says, James says, thou believest in one God? Good. That's good that you believe in God. So do the devils. So do the demons. And they tremble. It matters what we know and what we believe about God. The skeptic may question the existence of God. They refer to us as foolish for believing in God, but the Bible tells us that it's in fact the opposite. It is the fool that says in his heart, there is no God. And there is tangible evidence that proves God's existence right out there. All of creation, we see God's handiwork. God's handiwork is all around us, everywhere that we look. Creation screams that there is a God. You look at all the different animals, all the beauty of creation. Nobody's making land. Nobody's figured out how to manufacture land, mountains, right? Nobody's figured out how to make oceans. And then you look at, at, at the delicacy and just how, how unique the human body is made up of millions of cells. Cells come together to make tissue. Tissue comes together to form organs. Organs come together to form systems, right? It is scientifically impossible to say that everything came from nothing. It just cannot happen. So creation tells us that there is a God. Conscience tells us that there is a God. Why? We were created in the Imago Dei. We were created in the image of God, in the likeness of God. That means we were created with the capability of intellect and reasoning. We have the capability to think. Some don't. Some don't use those capabilities, but we have them. And God has imprinted upon all men and women. It is hardwired into us his holy law. Romans chapter 2 beginning in verse 14 says, When Gentiles who do not have the law naturally, it did not come to them by being taught to them, do things of the law, these not having the law or a law to themselves. We cannot have morality apart from God. God explains morality. And this lost and dying world times tries to tell us that we don't need God in order, in, in order to, to, to have morality, and that is just false. Why? 
Because then they try to say that what is true, what is false, what is right, what is wrong is just relative from one person to the next. But hardwired into all of us is the knowledge of that God exists and the knowledge of his law. It says in Romans 2 verse 15, it says, in that they demonstrate the work of the law written in their hearts, their conscience bearing witness and their thoughts alternately accusing or else defending them. The law of God is the very reflection of God's nature in that he is holy. And so we being created in the image of God, the reason why we know that instinctively that it is wrong to lie because God is not a liar. The reason why we know that it's wrong to steal is because God is not a thief. The reason why that we know that it is wrong to engage in sex outside of the covenant bonds of marriage is because God is not a fornicator and God is not an adulterer. So the human conscience proves the existence of God. And then there's the third that we talked about last week, the Bible. The first two tell us that there is a God. The the third one tells us who God is. And I won't go into detail like I did last week. I'll just refer you. You can go online and I upload all of... Uh, the, the, the messages to, um, to the internet. You can find them on the church's Facebook page. Um, but we, everything that we believe goes back to the Bible. The Bible is our standard. The Bible is where we go. What we believe about God, what we believe about salvation, about the church, about the meaning to life, where we're headed as a human race, we derive from the word of God. So it is essential that what we believe about God be firmly grounded and rooted in the scriptures. So from this passage that we read in Isaiah, and I could have picked from a myriad of passages to define uh, uh, who or, or to define what we believe about God. It's like what Spurgeon said. Charles Spurgeon said, would say that on Saturday afternoons, he would go into his study and open up his Bible to, 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 for the Lord to show him, uh, to lead him as to what he would preach the, uh, next, uh, the next day at the Metropolitan Tabernacle. And he said he'd plop that Bible open and he said every verse would just leap off the page at him. Hey, preach me, preach me, preach me. Write me down in, in, uh, in your notebook and take me to church. You preach me. To the people. It's because every verse, every word on the page screams to us who God is. So I want to take three, three things that we see out of these three verses. I want to, we want to see, I want to see three, I want to draw to your attention kind of three words. Particular, power, and purpose. Verse 9, let's think about the particularity of God. Look what it says. Remember the former things long past. For I am God, there is no other. I am God, there is no one like me. There is no one or nothing else like the God of the Bible. He cannot be likened to anything or anyone else. Of the myriads of false gods that are worshipped, none of them have the power, have the authority, and have the character of the God of Holy Scripture. You think about a large part of of, the religions of the world. 
A very, a very large portion of them are polytheistic, meaning they believe in multiple gods. It takes many of their gods to do what our one true God can do. And they can't do what he can do. For one, because they don't exist. They're not real. Secondly, the, the made-up false gods do not have the attributes that the one true God, Jehovah, the God of the Bible, has. There is no one, no one or nothing like our God. Let me read to you from Exodus chapter 20. Exodus chapter 20. I want to read to you the first seven verses. It says, uh, Then God spoke all these words, saying, I am Yahweh your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make yourself an idol or any likeness of what is in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the water under the earth. You shall not worship them or serve them, for I, Yahweh your God, am a jealous God visiting the iniquity of the fathers of the children on the third and fourth generations of those who hate me, but showing loving kindness to thousands to those who love me and keep my commandments. And you shall not take the name of, the, of Yahweh your God in vain. So if you take that and you compile that with what we read in Isaiah, we see, and along with the rest of Scripture, we see the message that there is but one God and He is Jealous and will not share glory, will not share worship with anyone or anything else. Wrap your mind around this this morning, child of God. The God of heaven and earth, the one who spoke everything into being, who on creation morning said, light be, and it happened is jealous for your attention. He's jealous for your attention. He wants you. Not because He needs you, but because He chooses to want you. Do you want Him? Do you want the real him? Do you want this God that we just briefly read about? He says, for I am God, there is no other. There is no one like him. Is that the God that you pursue? Is that the God that you chase? Is that the God that you long for? Is that the God that you want to please? Is that the God that you want to serve? Or is it one that you've fashioned together and whipped up in your mind? Because this idea, these false ideas of God do not hold water. And they are Understandable sins. It matters what we believe and what we think about God. And if you do trust in the God of the Bible, it matters what you know about Him. Because if you have a low knowledge of Him, 
That low knowledge of God is not going to help you in times of trouble. When the questions rise, why does this keep happening? You need the God with that there is no other. He says, I am God. There's no other. And in other places in Isaiah, it's like in the book of Isaiah, God just decided, hey, I'm going to tell, just, I'm going to just say over and over, there's no other God like me. There was no God formed before me. There'll be no God after me. And there is no end to him. He is the one and only God that there is. And he's jealous for mine and your attention. Wrap your mind around that. Wrap your mind around that, that he's jealous. The God of heaven and earth who, who, who declared the end from the beginning who sees all of history, who exists outside of time, who hears, who has millions of children in the people of God, who hears everybody at one time intimately, and he's jealous for your attention. That's the God of Scripture. That's the God that we confess as a church that we believe in. And that's the God that we need to confess that we believe in as individual believers. What else does the Bible say about God? Well, the Bible says that he's triune. We'll talk about that in the next, probably in the next week and probably the week after that. One eternal Godhead revealed in three divine uh, persons, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. They're three, yet they're one. He is eternal. Look, look what he says. He says, I am am God. He didn't say I became God. He says I am eternal existence, no beginning, no end. He's omniscient. That means he knows everything. He knows everything because he declared everything. He declared everything that has ever been and everything that will ever be. God is omniscient. He's also omnipresent. He's everywhere all the time. And remember what we, when we talked about it in Jonah. When Jonah got it, when he got the command to go to Nineveh, what did he do? He chartered him a boat to go 100 miles in the other direction. You can't run from God. We cannot run from God and we can't even lie to ourselves. When we, when we do, that's all we're doing is we're lying to ourselves. Well, God doesn't see me. God sees all and knows all. God is also immutable. God doesn't change. We talked last week from Psalm 119 that says, Forever, O Lord, thy word is settled in heaven. His word is settled and so is he. His word is settled because he is settled. He is unchangeable. He does not change. The Lord Jesus Christ says he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. God does not change. If you flip over and look at chapter 44 and verse 8, God says, um, excuse me, verse 6. No, I'm right. Yeah, verse 8 says, Is there any God besides me or is there any other rock? And that symbol that it does not change a thousand years from that rock still going to be a rock. God does not 
change. Also, God is incomparable. This is what I've been talking about so far. You cannot compare God to anything else. You cannot compare God to anyone else. He's also incomprehensible. He's incomparable and he's incomprehensible. Deuteronomy 29 verse 29 says the secret things belong to God. The secret things belong to God, but the things revealed belong to us and to our sons forevermore. What belongs to us? Everything here. We have before us in His holy word everything that God wants us to know. Do we have the capability to know everything that God knows? No. No, we don't. But we have the ability to know everything we need to know. But God is incomprehensible. And you know, here recently... And it ha- with everything that's been going on in the world, especially the last three, almost four years now, everything that's been going on, every you know, people are talking about uh, 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 end times, this, and, 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 and the uh, end times, that, and and when's this going to happen? And you know, I even brought a Wednesday night Bible study about it, about how this may be the start of the birth pains. Might go on another two thousand years. We don't know. But one thing's for certain. We'll know everything that we need to know on the last day. We'll know everything that we need to know about the last day on the last day. We'll know everything we need to know. But we will spend an eternity in heaven and never fully exhaust the beauty and the majesty and the glory that is our God. God is incomprehensible. God is also just. God is also just. We talked about that this morning in Sunday school. We talked about that, about how we don't understand why things happen. We don't understand the outcome of things. But God says in verse 10, declaring the end from the beginning, God does not know what's going to happen just because he has a good view of it. He's not just standing on the sidelines just, just watching it happen because he has a good view of it. Because he's some great cosmic fortune teller. No, it says that he declared it. He declared the end from the beginning. And we don't know why things happen like they do. We don't know why things turn out sometimes the way that they do. But we can trust in this. The judge of all the earth will do right. Our God is just. Psalm 89 verse 14 says, Righteousness and justice are the foundation of your throne. God is righteous. God is just. And then it says loving kindness and truth go before you. God is indeed just far beyond any of us could ever possibly comprehend. God is also holy. God is also holy. That is something, I've said this before, quoting R.C. Sproul, that the modern church needs to reclaim, needs to get a handle on the holiness of God. 
I've said this to you many times that we live in this culture that wants to take God and want to cut Him down. We, have to, we want to cut Him down to our size and make Him like us. There's nothing at all about God like us. Jesus, who came and dwelt among sinful men, is a man of sorrow and acquainted of grief, a man of like passions. He knows our infirmities. He knows uh, 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 as being fully God, but also fully man, knows how we think and how we feel, but he is still not like us. He is high. He is holy. He is lifted up, and we are not. Let me ask you this in this mindset of do you have the right view of God? Do you, when you think about God, do you see him in the way Moses did when he saw him in the burning bush and God said, take your shoes from off your feet because where you stand is holy ground. Not because the ground was holy, but because God hunkered down there and made it holy. Do you see him that way? Or when Moses said, God, let me see your face. And God said, you cannot see my face and live. His holiness would have just destroyed Moses. So God put him in the cleft of the rock and covered him with his hand. And just allowed him to see just a glimpse of his glory. And it turned Moses' hair white. And even and then Moses had to cover his head. Because the other people couldn't look upon him because it would have... Killed them. God is holy. Do you see God that way? Do you hold Him in that appreciation and give Him that honor? Do you see Him the way Isaiah did in Isaiah 6 when he said, I saw the Lord lofty, high, and lifted up? And he didn't say, Hey, God, let's go get us a cup of coffee. He said, woe is me, for I am undone. I am a man of unclean lips, and I live amongst the people of unclean lips. Do you see God that way? Do you see him in the way that Peter, James, and John did on the Mount of Transfiguration when they saw Christ in his glorified state? And what did they do? They fell. They were frightened. Folks, God is holy. Yes, Jesus is a friend of sinners, but he's not like us. And in him being the holy God, what does he do for, to us? He saves us to do what? Be holy set-apart people. He is the holy set-apart God. We are to be his holy set-apart people different from the world not better just better off to be different i just happened just happened not well there's no chance but i saw this morning an interview from years on back with john macarthur and he he was asked the question why does the christian continue to feel the weight of guilt of their sin he said, I'll tell you why. He said, because I didn't know what sin was till I became a Christian. He said, and now I walk around with the knowledge of it, knowing what it is, and it weighs me down, and I'm reminded of it all the time, but in comparison of how good and 
perfect and holy God is. But in that, in Christ, there's also a joy in that God, in the conviction that we may feel, God doesn't hold it over us. That conviction in things that we still continue to feel, it's to do one thing, continue to push us closer to Christ. Continue to drive us to Christ so that we become more like Christ and that we continue to die more to that old sinful nature. God is holy. He is also merciful and He is gracious. He is full of mercy. And what is mercy? Mercy is when a person or someone has the capability, has the right, has the authority to inflict punishment upon another party. Yet they choose to withhold it. You and I, and this goes for anyone saved and unsaved alike, are walking examples of the mercy of God. Because if God were not merciful, we'd be looking at one another in hell right now. But God is merciful in that He has withheld punishment that you and I are rightly due. And for those of us that have trusted in Christ, He's gracious. He's gracious in that He's been merciful to withhold the judgment from us and gracious to take that punishment and lay it on Jesus. Gracious to take that punishment and lay it upon His Son. Full, unmitigated wrath that was meant for us he withheld it from us and he laid it on his son. God is merciful and God is also gracious. And I'm not even going to begin to get to all of it. So I'm going to stop at this last one. God is good. God is good. Psalm 145 verse 9 says, Yahweh is good to all. And he is. He is good to all. There is that common grace of God that the rain does fall on the just and the unjust. That even the very people that hate and despise God and scorn his name and use his name to show filth, God allows them to see beautiful sunrises. God allows them to enjoy good food. He allows them to enjoy family and friends and experience loving relationships. God is good to all. And in that, like we sang the song, why do the wicked prosper? They don't prosper. God is just long-suffering and patient with them. In that, in that, they will come to the knowledge of the truth 
and forsake their sin and flee to Christ. The Lord is good to all and his compassions are over all his works. God is good. He is good. He is merciful and he is kind. But what about when bad things happen to good people? Hey, it's because we need to get the right perspective. None of us are good. Not a single solitary one of us. None of us are good. We have our definitions of good completely mixed up. None of us are good. So the question we should be asking is why does anything good happen to anybody? Because God is good. And it's all part of His redemptive plan. His good eternal purpose. His purpose that He's weaving together and working out and working in ways that we can't understand, working in areas that we cannot see. Why did this happen to me? Why am I going through this? I can't tell you that directly, but I can tell you this. If you're a Christian, God's with you in it. If you are a believer in Christ, God is there with you in it. For the purpose of trimming off what he doesn't want to be there and continuing to fashion and mold you more into Christ. And if you're not a Christian, you're going through it to show you that God is there. God is real. God will save you. And that you need to be saved. He's good. He's good. Nothing changes the goodness of God. He is good all the time, and all the time God is good. He's good, and He's loving, and He's kind. And this God of the Bible that we worship and that we hold dear, He ain't some faraway God. He isn't off in some distant land that the only way we can see Him or be near His presence is to make a pilgrimage to go be there. No. He's with us all the time by the power of his spirit because he told us, I will never, ever leave you nor forsake you. Our God is not like any other. Our God is the real God. And our God is good. Let's pray. Our most gracious heavenly father, we do humbly bow our unworthy heads. And Lord, I didn't get through a third of what I had. But God, you are good. You are just. No, we can't understand why you do what you do, why you allow what you allow, but we know that you're good. And we know that you don't abandon us. We know that you don't forsake us. You're with us. You're in the grind with us. And God, help us. Help us to have a right view of you. Help us to have a right view of who you are and an appreciation and a love 
for who you are, that you have been gracious enough to open our eyes and to draw us to repentance and faith in Christ. And Lord, help that, that if you've done that to us, help us to hold you in the highest esteem that we want to be used of you to go out and tell others about you that you would do the same for them. For all these things we ask and pray in Jesus' mighty name. Amen.